John chapter 15, page 1081. What we're picking up is the words of Jesus teaching his disciples. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that, you may, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my commandment. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works, no one else did they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law, they hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Slight microphone adjustment from this height. I'm going to pray and ask that God would help us uh, respond to this word. Heavenly Father, thank you 
Thank you for our Saviour. Thank you for his words being preserved. I pray now that by your Holy Spirit you'd open our hearts and prepare us to be changed so that we would be fruitful. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Matt's told us that we're starting a new series, and uh, this series will run for the next couple of weeks, uh, right up to Easter, and uh, we're calling it The Road to Calvary, because as we step through John's Gospel, we'll be heading uh, in that direction. I wanted to ask you uh, a question that's uh, part, of, uh, part of the life of our church, and uh, the question's an odd one if you've never heard it before, but we're trying to make it a little bit more familiar by asking it regularly. The question is, how's your apprenticeship to Jesus going? How's your apprenticeship to Jesus going? And the idea with that being is we could say, how's your walk going? How are you going at being a disciple? But we like the fact that apprenticeship says that we should be like our master. So I want to say to you, how are you doing being like your master? And to use the ideas of uh, the passage uh, this morning, I'd suggest that there are three answers. How's your apprenticeship to Jesus going? It's dead. That might be a very encouraging answer, but it might be an honest answer. I don't know. How about this one? It may be withering. It may be that you've had a fruitful time, but at the moment, you're at a point where perhaps some of the fruit isn't blossoming. In fact, it's withering. The third option is that we'll be fruitful. That we'll be fruitful. The response would be, how's my apprenticeship to Jesus going? I am loving it. I'm being more and more like Jesus in every aspect of my life. I'm a fruitful, we're mixing metaphors everywhere, I'm a fruitful apprentice to the Lord Jesus. It's worth thinking just to yourself, how am I doing? How would I categorise myself? Maybe you've got a fourth option. I'm just budding at the moment and we're kind of growing the fruit but we're not as fruitful. You get the idea. We'd like you to think about how you're travelling with Jesus. I want to put put this book that's just been read to us in context. Uh, We've just read from John. And John is in uh, the New Testament. This is our overview of both Testaments. In the New Testament, just after the end of the Old Testament, one of the Gospels, it's about Jesus' life, the bit leading up to his death, which you can see there with the cross. Let me just tell you a little bit about John particularly. Uh, You've heard these guys, Matthew, Mark and Luke, uh, they are three accounts of Jesus' life that are written together. There's a sense in which each of these writers has been aware of the other. And they incorporate a little bit of material from here and here. And if you've read Matthew, Mark and Luke, you'll often find that they sound very similar. Have you had that experience? They sound very similar. Um, some of them talk a bit longer. Mark's the shortest. But they sound very similar. In fact, that's been observed. And uh, here's John. John's over there, and John's odd in the sense of if you've been reading Mark and you pick up John, you just go, wow, these are not exactly the same. He tells quite a different approach. These first three Gospels are what's called the Synoptic Gospels. They saw the story of Jesus, and they tell it in a particular way together. They were written, there's lots of debate about this, they were written roughly 60 to 70 AD. Okay? So Jesus died in 33. They're they're written in living memory of Jesus' life. John was written by, it's argued, I think helpfully, uh, the Apostle John. And he finished writing somewhere in the 80s. So quite a bit later. 
He'd seen some things develop in the church and he was speaking to them particularly when he wrote John's Gospel. So these three are roughly the same and John's Gospel, in its own right, tells a particular take on Jesus' life. So what's John's purpose? What does he tell us that he's on about? I won't get you to flip to it, but at the end of John's Gospel, in chapter 20, it says this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what's the point? Why did John write his account of Jesus' life? That you might believe and, wonderfully, that you might have new life in his name. Fantastic. That was his purpose. So his purpose is to cause us to believe. Very brief overview of the structure of the book. And this will be important for what we're doing today. John's book is basically broken into two parts. The first part is called by techie Bible people, the book of signs. And the reason for that, basically, is that the first 12 chapters are basically the miracles that Jesus does to point out who he is. Water into wine, raising of Lazarus, those sorts of things. When you see them, you see something about the character of Jesus. So first 12 chapters, the book of signs. The rest of the book is what they call the book of glory. It's on the road to Calvary and ultimately to his resurrection. So two big parts in John's Gospel. The series that we're going to do is looking at this second part, the book of glory. And more particularly, where we picked up today, where Matthew read from, from is in Matthew chapter 15. Uh, so John chapter 15, thank you very much. Uh, it's in John chapter 15. Now it's worth noting, if you have a look, just above... Uh, where you read chapter 15, verse 1. Can you see it says in chapter 14, verse 31, come now, let us leave. Can you see that? Come now, let us leave. Where were they going from? They were going from, this is Michelangelo's famous depiction, they were going from the Last Supper. So what we're about to read today happens after Jesus has been in the upper room with his disciples saying, hey guys, this, this is the crunch time. And it's after Judas has done what? Betrayed Jesus. He'd been part of the core team. And it says, when Jesus handed, him to the, handed the bread to him, Satan entered him and he left. So Judas is gone. And now Jesus' tight team are going for a walk. They're headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I suspect, though I don't know, okay, a little bit of speculation here. I suspect the walk from the upper room to the place where they're going in the Garden of Gethsemane, they walked past vineyards. Apparently, the city of Jerusalem was surrounded by vineyards. I did not know this. I was doing some reading during the week. And I thought, isn't that cool? They could be walking out from the upper room, and as they walk along, it's possible that they're actually walking past vineyards when Jesus said this. Interesting bit of background, isn't it? Here's the Old Testament background. It was read for us that in Isaiah, God had spoken to Israel as the vine. Have a listen to what he said. God looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. That's what it says in 5.2. And then down the bottom in verse 7 it says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. 
and he looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. What's the picture? It's a very simple one. This is the Old Testament setup. Israel is a vine. God is the gardener. God went to look for his vine and found it full of bad fruit. Not doing the thing that it was actually planted to do. Here's where Jesus steps in and transforms this image. And I'll transform it on the screen for us. Israel was a bad vine. Jesus comes and he says, I am the vine. You know where Jesus says, I'm the shepherd? He actually puts a word in front of that, doesn't he? He says, I'm the good shepherd. I suspect Jesus could have said, I'm the good vine. I'm the good vine. I'm the vine Israel should have been. I'm obedient. I'm full of justice. I'm full of mercy. I'm full of compassion. I'm full of God's truth. I'm the vine that Israel failed to be. I am the vine. And who's the gardener? My father is the gardener. That's chapter 15, verse 1. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. The true and right vine is Jesus. His father is the gardener. Not just God as an idea, but his father, that personal relationship that he enjoyed with God. All right, that sets us up. Let's dive into this passage and see what it's got to tell us. So he sets up that he's the vine and that the father is the branches. Uh, is, is the father is the gardener, sorry. In verse 2 it says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. There's a relationship between the gardener and the vine. And the vine springs forth branches. And the gardener, he's into branches. He's right into them. In fact, I think it's absolutely striking. I think we think, it's, it makes sense in our heads, bad things get cut off, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? If you've got a diseased branch, or snip, however it goes, get rid of that, right? It'll be bad for the health of the vine. Get rid of it. But I want you to know, what else gets cut off? It's not just all the dead stuff. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit, while every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. But, 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 but God, I'm doing the right thing. What? The point here, very strikingly, I think, is that the gardener will cut all for the good of the vine. He'll cut everything. He'll cut the branches that are not bearing fruit and cut them off. He'll cut the branches that are bearing fruit. Why? So that they might bear more fruit. It's really interesting. Have a look at verse 3. He actually says, You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. It's very difficult to pick this up. But basically what it's saying is, I've cleaned you, I've pruned you already with the word. The thing that will prune us, that will help us to be more fruitful, is the word of God. And Jesus is there assuring his disciples, Hey guys, I've been pruning. I've pruned you already. I want you to have a look at this. Um, I had a fun time on uh, Thursday. Might have been Wednesday. I was sitting in my study doing all my work on vines and reading about them. I was sitting and I thought, you know what? There is, a, there is a vineyard just up the road from my house. I don't know if you know, on the corner up here, a, a vineyard called the Fussy Grape. So I thought, what am I doing? I'm crazy. I should go up the road and go and stand in a vineyard. 
So I went to the vineyard and I stood in the vineyard and Spiro came out. And uh, Spiro said hello to me and I said, oh, I'm here. I'm the minister. I want to go and stand in the vineyard and you can tell me. And he said, why do you want me to tell you about how to look after vines? And I said, oh, because Jesus was... And he said, oh, my son does it. I don't know very much about it at all. <laughs> okay, all right. Very good. The, the, point, the point I found was when you go to the vineyard, there's lots of growth everywhere, and which is like this here, right? But if you have a look closely, there's actually been pruning done. And there are thick branches with little shoots coming off all over them. How do you get thick branches like that? If you let it run, you won't. But careful pruning gives life to just a select amount. And it grows big and strong. And so pruning is actually for the good of the vine. The really challenging part is, if we're disciples, if we're branches of the vine, God's going to prune us. That we might be more fruitful. I imagine that might be a little painful at times. He goes on and says this. If you do not remain in me, he says in verse 6, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Which branch amongst Jesus' disciples had not borne fruit? Judas had just left them. I think it's very striking that Jesus says this. More than that, I want you to think with me for a second. What do you make good furniture out of? Sorry? Hardwood. Good furniture out of hardwood. Now, IKEA furniture out of MDF. Or <laughs> but good furniture gets made out of hardwood. What's a good hardwood? Someone tell me. Matt, you probably know. What's a good hardwood? Oak. Oak. Oh, that's okay. Solid as oak. Okay. You make, you make good furniture out of oak, let's say. How much furniture do you know that's made out of grapevines? It's not. Nothing solid, helpful, useful is made out of discarded grapevine. That's a really striking thing. You can't cut it up and turn it into a bit of furniture. A dead bit of grapevine is worth nothing. So what does the, what does the gardener do with it? The gardener can't make anything with dead vine, and so it is put into the fire and burnt. That's it. That's its whole usefulness if it's cut off from the vine. It's pretty striking, isn't it? There is no redeeming the unfruitful vine. It's just good for burn. Sobering. The counterpoint is this. Uh, verse 5. Have a look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's pretty straightforward. Here's something that I didn't know. It makes sense, but I don't think I connected it in my head. You know when you get bananas, what, if, if you want to have a week's worth of bananas, what colour do you pick them out of the shop at? Okay, now what happens if you leave them on the thingy? They ripen, they change colour, right? This is not rocket science, you're with me, I know you understand this. Here's the thing, understanding that's great. If you get a bunch of grapes, what colour do you pick them at? Red or green? Red or green, absolutely. 
if you pick them green, what happens to them? They stay green. That's good. That's how you're dealing in the same world I am. If you pick them red, what happens to them? Okay, what happens if you leave them over the course of a week? Right, they go brown and they die. Here's the really important thing. It's absolutely fascinating. I just never connected in my head. Grapes will not ripen off the vine. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Grapes won't ripen off the vine. If you cut them off, they're going downhill from that moment off. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing productive will happen for the vine if it's separated away. That branch that is cut off will do nothing. Every bit of fruit on it will degenerate and die. Very striking. So Jesus says, apart from me, apart from abiding in me, you can do absolutely nothing. There's no life that will come into you as a stick lying on the ground. The vine is the only fruitful place. But here's the cool bit. Fruitfulness is inevitable if you remain. So if you remain in me, Jesus says, you will bear fruit. I love that. So if you're seeking to be fruitful here, what's the thing that we have to do? We have to abide in the vine. That's the only place we can be fruitful. And if we abide, we will be fruitful. So what does being fruitful really mean anyway? Okay, so cool, I want to be fruitful. It's very exciting. What is it? What does it mean to be fruitful? Well, I reckon there's two options. Matt and I were talking about this during the week. I reckon there's two options. The two options are, maybe being fruitful is new converts. Okay? In which case, it's a pretty big call, isn't it? Uh, Brothers and sisters, go and produce new converts. Sounds like a tall order. Second option, brothers and sisters, grow godly character. As the fruit of your life. Grow godly character as the fruit of your life. Here's why I think we should prefer the second one. Although there's a case for the first. If you think about the analogy, Jesus says, who is the vine? Look, look quick comprehension test. Who's the vine? Jesus. Jesus. Who's the branches? What happens to the fruit? Where's the fruit go? From the branches. Okay, very good. Vine, branch, fruit. Very good. Okay, here's the thing. If converts are the fruit, right, it doesn't really work. Because that would be another branch, wouldn't it? Does that make sense? Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, and we're producing fruit. If the call is to produce more fruit and the fruit is converts, kind of messes with my head because it would say that we're supposed to be producing branches. Are you with me? Here's why I think it's Christian character, because it's branch fruit. It's not more me, it's more of Jesus in me. Now, it helps that the Bible talks about fruit quite a bit, doesn't it, for Christians? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control are the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it's not a lock-in, but I think it makes sense that... Christian character is the fruit that we're supposed to bear. Make sense? Now, it may be that grapes drop on the ground and they've got seeds on them and they start vines and vines start grape branches and that's converting. But I think that's a reach. So I'm going to go with fruit for us is Christian character. Okay. 
Let's go with fruit being Christian character. Have a look at verses 7 and 8 with me um, on the page here. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Well, the first thing that would happen, most of us would hear that and go, cool, Jesus is going to answer every one of my prayers. Except we're all too cynical to believe that, aren't we? It can't mean that. You can't actually mean that he's going to answer all of our prayers. What's he saying, though? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. What's the idea? That we would be soaked with his words, which are... You'll find some here. This will be my first tip. If we soak ourselves in the word of God, then whatever we ask, the words that flow out of us will be his words. Do you reckon that the promises of God are things that God would like to answer for you? Think it. So the more we pray the promises of God, the more you'll be blown away that God wants to hear and answer those prayers. But I want you to know, why is it, why is it good that we bear much fruit? Who's, whose benefit is it that we bear much fruit? That's right, God the Father's benefit. The branch gives fruit for the gardener's glory. Now this makes sense. I could walk up to uh, the fussy grape and go, my, 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 what a wonderful set of vines you have. I could do that. Although, do you know what uh, Spiro encouraged me to do? How do you reckon he encouraged me to, to, to appreciate the vines? Buy some wine. Buy some wine. <laughs> okay, right. That makes sense, doesn't it? So, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. The great fruit that gets produced gets turned into great wine. That's what we do with it. And the wine, the outcome of the fruit, brings praise and honour to the grower, the gardener. Does that make sense? And in fact, I didn't get these medals from uh, the Fussy Grape. Although they did have some little ribbons hanging up so you can ask them about that. Uh, but here's the thing. It makes sense that the fruit will be for the gardener's glory. Not just the vines. My, 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 you keep a nice garden. No, no, no. The fruit, I've sampled the fruit and it's delightful. You have done a great job, gardener. The idea is that as Christians, as people sample the delights of our Christian character, praise and honour will go to God the Father. Bring it on. Jesus goes on in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now here's the thing. I reckon this is just a thing in our society. Commands and obedience... Big gap. The word joy. Commands and obedience. Big gap. The word joy. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's putting them together. He says, actually, if you obey, you will find joy. Joy that is complete. Now, as Australians, we just go, I don't obey anyone. I'm kind of like genetically wired to be disobedient. Even if I do it nicely and socially, right? I just like a little bit of rebellion on the side, right? Jesus is saying that the path to joy, the path to true, to true fulfilment, is found in obedience to his commands. Now, church, I'm just going to tell you, get on with being obedient. It's good for you. 
It's what Jesus modelled to us, and it's for your joy. The branches know the key to remaining is to obey. Notice, if you keep your commands, you will remain. How will we stay part of the vine? We'll be obedient. The key to remaining is to be obedient, and, bonus prize, you'll find it a joy if you do it. You'll find it a joy if you do it. Sounds pretty good to me. Jesus goes on with this theme of love. In verse 12 he says, My command is this. So this is the heavy command. You ready? This is the full weight of Jesus commanding you. You ready? Here we go. He says this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. What's the awesome command of Jesus to us? What's the heavy burden he puts on us? I'm using sarcastic language. He tells us to love people. He tells us to love people. That's his command. More than that, Jesus is about to model for us. Listen to his words there. Greater love has this, no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Where's Jesus heading? To the cross, isn't he? To Gethsemane. He's about to model for us the absolute pinnacle of what it means to love your friends, to lay down your life for them. So Jesus says, be like me. And it makes sense, doesn't it? So in the vine, so in the branch. Of course it does. That we would love is his command to us. Branches are called to bear the fruit of love. And Jesus says... You are my friends if you do what I command. This is fantastic too, isn't it? How do I know that I'm friends with God when I do what he commands? I no longer call you servants, he says in verse 14, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. I love this. You and I, if you are part of the vine, are insiders with God. He doesn't just direct you as servants. He says, my friend, my friend. I think that's profoundly beautiful. The servants are called friends when they are knowledgeable of the master's plans. Do you know what God's on about in the world? I hope so. He'd love to see new life come to every home. He'd love to see you transformed for his glory. He'd love to see us be a fellowship filled with love. Remember what I told you, Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. Interestingly, he just goes back to servants here. Interesting. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. So here's the thing. I want to be friends with God. Brilliant. Does God always get treated right in this world? Does not. And so if we're going to associate, and you may have had this experience in your life, if you associate with someone who's already been picked on by everyone else, what happens? You get drawn into that storm, don't you? Just by associating with them. And so branches know that friends suffer together. It's not an encouraging idea, but it's there. We'll suffer together. But there'll be one who will help us. When the advocate comes, he says in verse 26, skip right the way down to the end of the chapter. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. God says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to dwell in you, and he will help you bear witness. Now remember, he's speaking to his disciples here. He's saying, disciples bear witness. 
we can know, as we've looked at in our adventurous value, that the Holy Spirit will help us testify too. So the branches know the Holy Spirit will help them to speak of Jesus. Why did Jesus tell this vine metaphor? Remember, Judas has left and they're going to the Garden of Gethsemane. What happens in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus prays and what do his disciples do? They sleep, they fail to pray, and they abandon Jesus. Jesus says in chapter 16, verse 1, which Matt's going to expand next week, I've told you this so that you will not fall away. This whole vine metaphor is that we might persevere, that we might hang in there. Branches know how important it is to endure, and Matt was speaking of that this morning. Enduring is one of our keys. We want to last. So let me finish up with this. What does it mean to remain in? Remain in me, and my words will remain in you. What will it mean to remain in? I want to suggest the first thing is that we would be close to Jesus. The branches are close to the vine. They cannot be separated. What that means for me and you is you have to spend time getting to know your Saviour. You have to spend time with Him. And you can't cheat that. And I won't check up and tick a box for you. You will know if you're walking closely with your Saviour or not. Be close to Him. I really like this diagram. I saw it during the week. You may not be able to make it out. There's a person at the top. And on this side they've got work, play and rest. There's a line down the middle and there's a church on the other side. There's two lives that they're living. A churchianity and the rest of their life. I think to be living in Christ is to have Christ in every part of our lives. We need to start being real. In Christ is to have Christ in my life, in my work, in my rest, in my play. Not my Sunday self and my rest of the week self. Jesus in every part of me. We have to be real. Thirdly, we've got to be ready to be pruned. It's, it's absolutely, this is amazing. I'm going to read this to you because it's very cool. I learned about pruning this week. You ready? Here we go. This is the tips on pruning. You need to prune vines to keep them manageable size. They go crazy. They go everywhere. Your life can get out of control quickly. Jesus wants to prune it. Secondly, pruning is done to direct the energy of the vine into producing fruit instead of stems and leaves. Do you know what? Some of our lives are filled with stems and leaves and not much fruit. I think the challenge is Jesus wants to cut that stuff off and help you be productive in producing the fruit. Prune to keep the fruit growing close close to the main stem. This way the sap doesn't have to travel far from the fruit. Long branches that don't produce much fruit, not very helpful. Here's the third one. I love the uh, fourth one. In order for fruit to ripen, ready for this? In order for fruit to ripen, pruning needs to be done in order to let the sunlight in. Unlike most other fruits, grapes do not continue to ripen after being picked from the vine. Thus, it is essential for grapes to get enough sunlight. You could be doing a bunch of stuff in your life and it's crowding out the light of the sun. You need to clear it away so that that fruit that God is producing in you might ripen. We need to be ready to be pruned. We need to be obedient. And you've got to hear the master's voice if you want to obey it. We talk about doing life together. We've got to love together as well. And finally, I want you to be fruitful. I want to be in a church. I want to be in a church when we're growing in Christian character.
you know why? It would be an absolute delight. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness and self-control. Gracious. I mean, God, where do I sign up? Let's pray that we might be a fruitful congregation, plugged into the vine and bearing fruit that will last. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for Jesus. Thank you that in him is all the life and energy that we need. Help us to be branches, pruned as stuff that sucks the energy away from us, focused on you, ready to bear much fruit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.